With spring right around the corner, maybe you like me, you're excited to get out for longer walks and runs, pick up a new book to read outside, or just get out and explore new neighborhoods and food. Or we could do all three wrapped in one. Our friends over at Read and Run Chicago are expanding to nearby Lamont for three different meetups. The group is like a combination running club, book club, and neighborhood tour, and each route in Lamont is about three miles paired with a different book from Pat Camaliere's Corotazi Historical Mystery Series. Afterwards, you'll get to sit down with the author and historian and sample some food from local restaurants. The first run is Saturday, March 23rd. Spots are limited and are going to go fast. So register now at readandrunchicago.com or find the link on their Instagram at readandrunchicago. Today on CityCast Chicago. Fire safety remains a problem for many Chicago buildings. Berlin nightclub staff are looking to unionize, and the summertime festival lineups are rolling out. Joining me are the Chicago Reader social justice reporter, Debbie Marie Brown, and with the Illinois Answers Project and Better Government Association, Alex Nicken. It's Friday, March 17th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning, Alex. Welcome to CityCast Chicago. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's a pleasure. Every single Friday, we bring in some friends to break down some key stories for the week. We want to make sure folks are settled in with a little, you know, a little small talk. And earlier this week, we talked with uh, uh, our CityCast Chicago teammate, Caroline Patton, uh, who runs the Chicago show calendar. It's an Instagram and newsletter that shows some of the best music concerts that are coming up in the week. And Debbie Marie, you actually wrote an article about Caroline, which gave me the idea. What is your favorite music venue to either performing because I know you be up there getting down or to go watch live music what's your favorite uh Chicago venue listen you beat me to it because I had both ready so (laughs) you can give me both answers that works for me so my favorite uh venue to see a show it has to be Sleeping Village those one dollar beer nights um listen I will I'm waiting for them to call me but I I went for my first time last week to see Shawnee Dez and some other folks perform it was my first time it was nice Yes, yes. And then I'd say my favorite venue to play is the California Clipper. Okay. Yeah. They're having best evening ever uh best evening ever with Pat Whalen coming up on March twenty-first. Yes. Uh, so the California Clipper for folks who may not be familiar is in Humble Park and Sleeping Village is over in Avondale. So shout out to some love to the west side, the northwest side of the city. Uh Alex, I want to kick it to you. What is your favorite Chicago music venue to either play or see a show in? I am not a performer of anything. I will start with that. I want to give you your credit. Maybe you out here busting out the ukulele. Maybe someday. It's not too <laughs> late for me. The Congress Theater in Logan Square holds a special place in my heart because it was the first show, the venue of the first show that I ever went to in Chicago like 10 or 12 years ago um, when I was in college. And I remember distinctly walking in there and looking around being like, this place seems haunted um, like in, the best, <laughs> in the best possible way. 
Alex and Debbie are here to look back on some key stories from the week. What was that top story? What was that story that deserves some more attention? And y'all know how we end every single episode of City Cash Chicago with some good. I ain't even gonna give it all to y'all right now. I ain't gonna give it away so that you, <laughs> you stick around some. to the end. I'm gonna stick uh, around. <laughs> but Alex, I want to start off with you because you've been covering this investigation for years now. Uh, Related to how the city does building inspections and what that means for fire safety. Can you catch up us up on your latest findings? Yeah, avid consumers of Chicago news may remember that about two years ago, the Chicago Tribune and Better Government Association put out this huge, ultimately Pulitzer Prize winning investigation that um, I want to be clear, I had no part in. That was uh, my predecessors, but that found uh, a lot of issues and shortcomings with the way that Chicago and its buildings department conduct safety inspections of buildings um, that were unfortunately creating a lot of really dangerous situations in homes, things like no smoke alarms or blocked exitways or exposed wires and conditions that were um, to blame, unfortunately, for a lot of people dying in, in fires that are, with unsafe conditions that the city had an opportunity to address. So we at the Illinois Answers Project Better Government Association got back together with our peers at the Tribune and just wanted to revisit this a couple years later. And it turns out that the city really has not done much of anything to improve things. We found a number of examples of um, similar findings to the last investigation of homes that the city was told were in poor condition uh, and did not address and then where people died in fires. But we found many, many more examples of homes that were in unsafe conditions that the city had no idea about because the city doesn't have any kind of like regular or proactive system for building inspections to actually catch issues before they turn serious. I was just reporting on a fire that took place in our neighborhood I want to say maybe a month and a half ago over in the Kenwood neighborhood. Right. And while they ultimately ruled that the fire was due to someone smoking in a room, they said that building had been inspected. It had failed multiple inspections, had multiple violations in just a few weeks leading up to the fire. I know that you also were trying to be proactive, trying to push this story forward. And you have a report that says there are some cities that Chicago should try to emulate. Uh, what cities are those and why? Do you, what do you think Chicago can learn from them? We basically looked at about a half dozen cities all around the country that in different ways are joining this movement just really in the past 10 years or so of revamping their inspection processes to implement some kind of regular uh, inspection system. Minneapolis really stood out as and has been held up by researchers and activists as sort of like the gold standard. They have this tiered system where you can like earn your way to less frequent inspections. And if you are, you know, a worse performer and have a poor record as a landlord, you'll be inspected more often. The other side of this, which was what that original investigation were focused on, which is um, what can cities actually do once they've found an issue to actually make the landlord do something. And for that, I think one that really stood out was Los Angeles, which, for example, um, the city can declare in an unsafe building that, um, all rent is going to go into an escrow account that the landlord can literally only use to pay for repairs, um, things like this. And this follow-up report you mentioned, we also looked at Seattle, Denver, and New Orleans, which have all in different ways just very recently moved to um, create registries, city-owned registries of all their apartment buildings, which is another thing that Chicago does not have. And 
just some kind of basic regular inspection system um, that that for whatever reason just does not there has been a lot of resistance to that in Chicago. It's something that the next mayor is going to inherit, and both of them have generally said that they want to you know, revisit this issue and address it and push something forward. But um, we're definitely going to have to keep asking them about it. Debbie, I want to bring you in here. A story that you have been following um, looks at one of the most famous LGBTQ nightclubs in the city. It's been around since 1983. Can you tell us a little bit more about Berlin Nightclub, but also the efforts of its staff members there? Yes, uh, Berlin Nightclub, as of recent, is known as really as a, a haven for a lot of Black and brown, especially trans people in the middle of Boys Town, a very, um, which can be a very white, cis, gay space. But as I talked to uh, workers um, recently, they have decided that they are going to unionize underneath Unite Here Local One. They're asking for better pay, safer working conditions, better training and new equipment. Some things that some of the people spoke to me about were like, we just want shirts for sec- our security that say security on them, um, uh, safety vests, you know. Uh, they spoke a lot about the issues that come um, with not having health care at, at a place where you get sick very frequently, seeing hundreds of people a night in this packed venue. Um, one of the most difficult jobs they talk about is this coat check because uh, it's like downstairs and they have to run up and down the stairs for like six, eight hours the whole night. Something that folks described like, you know, not being able to walk <laughs> very much the next day because the stress on their bodies. Many of these folks have uh, our Medicaid because of COVID protections, um, which are going to come to an end soon. And they're really seeing this as, hey, we need to make sure that we're keeping our trans and queer people safe because, you know, the people who work here, they also often perform here or they are attendees. They're a part of this community. They're tight knit. Um, and especially in the the wake of a, a lot of the anti-trans legislation nationally, like in the rhetoric, they feel this responsibility to make sure that Berlin is doing what it needs to do to keep uh, folks safe. I mean, we have followed so many union efforts over the last just year from workers at El Milagro. Recently, United Center concession workers walked off the job right before Bulls game. Debbie, when you talk to these workers, are they familiar and aware of what feels like huge momentum behind union efforts in our city? Has that inspired them? Has that given them hope that, you know, maybe we can achieve this too? It definitely has. When I ask each of them, like, what are the movements that inspire you? Some folks are like, I'm inspired by the unionizers at um, at Howard Brown. Some folks are like, you know, I'm inspired by this nightclub in California. Luckily, they don't feel as much resistance from their management as we might expect. Folks don't, they're like, we think management might just say yes. We're not, we're not positive. We're hoping that they, um, we haven't seen, you know, huge resistance. But um, I know like I've talked to other folks at other places, other nightclubs or venues who have thought about unionizing, but like, they're like, no, I know our management will not even take that. So I guess this is really just a period of, of seeing what happens. Hearing for workers on whether to move forward with the union is set for March 20th. The 
City of Chicago Department of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection offers a free entrepreneur certificate program for future and current business owners in Chicago. Participants must complete six webinars within six months in designated webinar categories. Graduates are eligible to apply for the CIBC Bank USA Entrepreneur Loan Program, a bank partner with BACP. The longstanding program was created to support startup or early stage small businesses, gain entrepreneur training with important working capital. Since the program launched, more than 1,000 Chicago entrepreneurs and business owners have successfully completed the program. Completing the process is as easy as one, two, three. Number one, register by signing up at chicago.gov slash BACP certificate. Number two, attend six webinars by registering for upcoming webinars at chicago.gov slash BACP webinars. And number three, graduate from the program and you'll receive your digital certificate and information on connecting with CIBC Bank USA. To learn more about the BACP Entrepreneur Certificate Program, please visit chicago.gov slash BACP certificate. Every single week, we want to make sure that we are shining light on some stories that may not get the same amount of attention. And Alex, I want to kick it to you first. City Council came back together with their lame duck mayor this week, uh, but they are they have an agenda uh, to gain more independence, not simply from the current administration, but whatever administration comes afterwards. Can you talk a little bit about these efforts? That's right. This is a sentiment that I think has been brewing in the City Council for at least a couple of weeks, and we really saw come to the fore in a visible way on Wednesday when this pretty influential and diverse group of older people, mostly current allies of of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who are sort of on the fence in the runoff, came out and presented really the beginnings of a plan to, they say, make the city council a truly independent body that would be able to be a check on the mayor's office, which, of course, is very different from the way the city council has operated for decades. It really seems like momentum is building for, um, in part because both mayoral runoff candidates have said that they uh, would you know, go along with something like this, of a city council where they are creating their own committees and electing their own chairs and being more involved in policy and maybe having like a council president and things that sound so novel here in Chicago, but are so standard in cities uh, all over the country. And it's, it's exciting for me as a reporter just to watch because it means that they're the possibilities are really endless for what the next city government could look like if the council really is this independent. What has been some of the pushback against this? I saw Joe Ferguson, the former inspector general, say city council doesn't need to go from 19 to 28 committees. What are some other criticisms of city council's efforts? Yeah, I would say there are a few lines of criticisms. One of them is just, hey, this particular plan that they've put out looks big and messy and unwieldy, and I'm not sure I like it. Um, This was definitely the subject of debate. One of the only actual details from their proposal that came out on Wednesday was uh, a bulleted list of 28 committees. Now there are 19, and I think two subcommittees. This would be 28 committees and something like nine or 10 subcommittees. Um, And folks may remember from about a year ago, the... um, Daily Line, BEZ, and Cranes put out this story basically looking into the fact that a lot of the committees already barely ever meet. And so it's this question of what are all these other committees going to do? Another line of criticism against it is, well, we really shouldn't be having these conversations yet because there's a whole brand new city council with a lot of new people who are about to take power and deserve to be part of these conversations. And then there are 
some more cynical folks, like you saw uh, Alderman Anthony Beal, who just endorsed for Paul Vallis, saying, um, well, these are just some uh, Lori Lightfoot stalwarts who are scared about losing their chairmanships. And so now they're, you know, suddenly biting back and trying to keep them no matter what. With the two candidates that we have, have either of them made it clear where they lean on the roles, responsibility and ultimately the power of city council, which they'll have to work with? I mean, both have said in general terms, I want to you know, view the city council as a co-equal branch. I want to work with them. I want to be collaborative. Of course, both set themselves against the backdrop of Mayor Lightfoot, who has you know lost a lot of support from the city council and was known for not working well with older people. Paul Vallis in particular has said that he uh, wants to create this kind of independent development authority to make like zoning decisions um, that he says would be free from city hall influence and free from aldermanic prerogative. I I just cannot see the city council going for that. Um, I mean, basically, aldermanic prerogative and the idea that an alder person can squash anything that they don't like more or less in their own ward. A lot of people have complained about it um, until they sit in that seat and then they are not so excited to get rid of that power anymore. Yep. Debbie Marie, I want to bring it back to you. Uh, you want to bring some light to a story that one of your coworkers, Katie Proud, who's been on CityCast before, uh, wrote about. Uh, can you talk us through this? Yes, for sure. And this is one of those uh, beautiful stories. Um, she spends a lot of time in community with people who are struggling with drug addiction and house uh, and houselessness. And this article is a, a moving reported, um, first person reported essay about the deaths of six of her friends. And they're just six emotional um, obituaries about um, preventable drug-related deaths in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a, a little bit about what it was like reading through it? Because even as I read through it, it, it really, it, it sucked because on one hand, it warmed my heart that Katie was drawing attention to lives that for many, they just walked past these people, uh, didn't take take time to ask their names. And she wrote about Ron, Brittany, Val, Polo, a.k.a. DeMarco, Ralph, and Sheila, uh, these individuals who who uh, died from these preventable drug-related deaths at a time in which overdose deaths are up in Cook County. Just what was it like to read through these stories and the, and the care that Katie took to, to share them? Yeah, I think, I think it was, you know, through the love and the intimacy that she has with these people, it makes it apparent that many of us don't don't have that intimacy or that connection with these folks realizing that um that the sort of care that you have for like a friend when they're going through like that's the kind of care that we need to have for on house folks and you know and people who need to get access to clean needles and stuff i think it shows the distance that many of us um take the emotional distance that many of us have in general from these issues that we shouldn't um uh so i was glad that we could experience it um through katie and, and, and that she was willing to be open with us in that mm-hmm. way, yeah. I mean, even in my own family, for the people who have experienced this houselessness, people who have um, either died or dealt with drug addiction for uh, a good part of their lives, you see how quickly these people become whispers in your own family, right? Oh, that's your uncle or your auntie or, or your grandma or, or, or your cousin is dealing with something. And it is in this hushed tone, it is in this silence that we negate these individuals' humanity, and thus we don't really think creatively or fully about solutions. And so in addition to telling their story, Katie also talks about the ways that 
groups in our city are advocating to provide tents for people, provide uh, safe needles for people, uh, to provide overdose medication for individuals, but also talking about what we need to do in our city to invest. And so you see our mayoral candidates talking about things like safe consumption sites. What are they going to do when the COVID money dries up to impact uh, homelessness in our city, to impact drug addiction in our city? But I really want them to to sort of lean in in a way that still offers people their humanity. And so shout out to Katie for sharing these obituaries for these individuals. And, and Debbie Marie, I appreciate you shining some light on it today. Every single episode of CityCast Chicago ends the same way with me. Uh, honestly, just sort of taking the spotlight to do a little solo. Uh, some good news. Oh, man, I'd be feeling croony when I'd be singing that sometimes. But, Alex, I want to start with you. What is your some good news? I was finna go, but I didn't. I didn't. All right. I appreciate that. <laughs> um my good news, this might sound a little bit uh, irregular, but um, the mayoral election and this inflection point for the city council have actually had me reading a lot about New York City. Um, in particular, this guy named Fiorello LaGuardia, who was uh, mayor of New York City in the 30s and 40s, the guy who the airport is named after. I was going to say the namesake yeah. of the airport. Um, who has gone down as one of the great American mayors of the 20th century and is someone who I think that both the Chicago's mayoral candidates would be wise to uh, research a little bit. He uh, dismantled the corrupt Tammany Hall political machine. He ushered in a new city charter that made government more efficient and effective and brought a whole bunch of progressive reforms and built up a lot of public institutions. Um, and a reason why I think this is relevant to Chicago is that before LaGuardia came along, New York had aldermen and ward bosses and precinct captains. And like there were way too many wards, you know, no modern city charter, things that are very familiar to us here in Chicago. Um, and LaGuardia was just part of this wave of reforms that, that crashed over all of these other American cities that just totally missed Chicago. Yeah. And we're at an inflection point right now. And as people have reported, the next mayor is going to oversee some really huge changes in Chicago, everything from public schools to transit to public safety and development uh, and learning from your predecessors and whatever small lessons you can take from them, whether they're from Chicago or from other major cities, um, I do think is important. So we'll make sure uh, we drop a link for our history buffs and our people who are looking for uh, another good book to, to put on their list. Debbie Marie, I want to bring you in here. Recently, you celebrated a birthday. Right. Oh, right. Birthday. You played a show at Dorothy's. I know you're some oh. good news is one of your next shows coming up, but I wanted to show you some love, especially even belated. Happy March birthday to you. Oh. Um, and can you share your some good news with CityCast listeners? If you want to get put a spin on it, go ahead. We, we love when people sing with us. Um, thank you so much for that. Um, you know, as the race to the the runoff election has is, is coming on, there's been a a bunch of gay and or nightlife hosting Brandon Johnson for fundraising events. Most recently, he he showed DJ up. DJ been Slo out here <laughs> at Slow Mo. He was at Slow Mo queer uh, dance party at Sleeping Village, um, and there's that's not his his last stop. One of many. So I'm I'm my band. Uh, I have a four piece band on March 28th. I'm, we're playing a show at Cole's Bar. 
with uh, two other cover bands. Um, my band that makes original music. I, I sound like like Tracy Chapman singing Midwestern emo. Come on. But he will be there from 7 to 9, and then the show starts at 9. Beautiful. We're also planning to talk to Brandon Johnson at his barbershop very soon, so watch out for that interview. And we're hoping to talk to Vallis as well. If you want to see Vallis live, he's going to be talking to Block Club Chicago at Talia Hall on March 27th. Of course, I got to make sure I leave you with some of my good news. Uh, And I got to give some more love to music in Chicago, particularly live music. We're obviously at that time where music festival lineups are starting to come out. And one place I've never been, but I'm constantly hearing good things about is Ravinia up in Highland Park. Right. From June to about September, uh, they have just a celebration of music pretty much every day, but especially every weekend. And this summer is no different. They just released their lineup this week. You can go out there and see Encanto or Jurassic Park with a live orchestra playing the score. But some of these names, y'all, I'm talking legends. We're talking Boys to Me and the Isley Brothers on the same night in August. Right. We're talking John Legend playing two days, Santana with two days, Carrie Underwood with two days and she was supposed to be here last year but she is back this year to celebrate the 25th anniversary of one of the greatest albums of all time the miseducation of lauren hill lauren hill will be up in highland park june 17th and so shout out to ravinia we'll make sure we drop a link for you to the entire lineup there is something for everyone on that list Of course, I want to give a huge thank you to the people who joined us on CityCast Chicago, did the work of bringing these amazing stories. Shout out to the Chicago Reader Social Justice Reporter, Debbie Marie Brown, and from the Illinois Answers Project with Better Government Association. Shout out to the homie Alex Nicken. Appreciate y'all making time for CityCast once again. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Before I let you go, I got to give a huge thank you to the people who make CityCast Chicago. That's lead producer Carrie Shepard, our producer Simone Alisea, our newsletter editor Sydney Madden, the people on the ones and twos, that's Sam Thousand, all the kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. And of course, my last thank you is for you, the people who listen to CityCast Chicago and hopefully are reading Hey Chicago, the best damn newsletter in the city. If you're not, You still got time. You can subscribe at chicago.citycast.fm. Come back on Monday when we'll give you an update on the biggest corruption trial to hit Illinois in more than a decade. I'll talk to you then. Peace. I did not make it 14 seconds, which I have been doing (laughs) for the last few weeks. I was going to say, that was a short one. That was a short one. I I've been I've been going a little bit too long recently. Uh she's gonna start. She's just gonna cut me eventually. <laughs> uh so, so I don't want that to happen.